I think that's the difference between a new teacher and an experienced teacher. They haven't had all those different experiences to be able to know how to make those quick judgments and what to do when the time arises and everything's on the line. Welcome back to Teacher Tales, where we give you the keys to overcoming teacher burnout to find work-life balance and educational bliss, if it still exists. On this Socratic Sessions episode of Teacher Tales, Just Dom and I provide the gift of advice to new teachers through three key techniques for success. First, learn the art of fostering connections, enhancing both personal and professional growth. Next, master reflective practice to gain a deeper understanding of your teaching methods for continuous improvement. Finally, discover the secrets to efficient time management and boundary setting to avoid burnout, ensuring a sustainable and fulfilling teaching journey. So classroom management. Yeah. That one's always, so many people have different like ideas of how classroom management should be, what a class, what a classroom should look like when you walk in. And I'm putting air quotes up there for, for y'all who can't see us. Um, but what does your classroom look like when people walk in? So my classroom, and you've been in my classroom, but for everybody who doesn't know, <laughs> is um, dark, not pitch black, right? I have lamps in every corner. The lights are on. <laughs> like, let's be honest. It's not what every admin wants to walk in and see, but I have two screens on. It is, I said the other day we were out eating at a restaurant and I was like, this is kind of the lighting of my classroom. Like it's bright enough to see. <laughs> I'm being so serious. It's bright enough to see, but it's not so bright that you're going to get a headache. And that's as much for the kids as it is for me. Cause I'm like, I'm going to be having a headache if I'm under these fluorescent lights all day, staring at my computer all day. But like I kept my lights that way when we did open house and the parents were like, this classroom is very like calming when you walk in here. I bet that the kids are calm. And I was like, they are like, it brings everything kind of down. But when admin walks in there, that's not what they're expecting to see. They want the lights on. They want it to be like in your face. And for me, the lighting being down and the kids knowing that starts my kind of like classroom expectation, what you're going to be expecting. I think a big part of classroom management is consistency. The kids mm. know if those lights are on, I'm not there. <laughs> and they've told me that. They're like, as right. soon as all the lights were on, we knew you weren't here. Because they know consistently my lights will not be on, but it sets up what my classroom is going to look like compared to what your classroom is going to look like. Now, you do a lot more where they're speaking and they're up front. So, obviously, you want your lights on Mm because they're going to be talking, Mm -hmm. presenting, and stuff like that. But that's not what I'm doing. So, it's different depending on the subject, depending on the teacher, depending how long you've been there. The older teachers... Their idea of classroom management (laughs) is everybody is in a straight row facing forward. There is no speaking that the lights are on. Everybody's looking at the teacher and that's fine. That works for them, but that doesn't work for me. Me neither. Uh, My classroom, when people walk in, depending on the day, 
you know, you may have some people over here like working on something. They may be sitting down discussing and have a laptop open, but you have other people, another group um, up rehearsing their uh, their speeches or their project and how they're going to present it. You may have people out in the hallway rehearsing. That's That happens all the time where uh, the project is something that they have to work through over, I want to say like over a week or so. So there may be, there's going to be a couple of days where they're at their desk and they're just talking to each other, working through a, a shared document. You know, they're typing stuff out. And then there's going to be a part where they're practicing those same presentations that they put together. So they have to dialogue back and forth. They have to have their cameras and there's always like laptops out and open. And so they have to record. So you have maybe, I don't know, 10 or 12 different groups in pairs and they're all out speaking. So they're talking about whatever the project is on. So when someone comes into my classroom or even on my hallway, if they see there's kids out and their laptops open, that means they're practicing. That means they are working on something. And then uh, obviously on a speech day, the classroom is totally different. I know I move my classroom around. There can't be another person in that building that moves their seats and desks around more than I do because depending on what we're doing, uh, it will look different. So I like to do what I looks like that. stadium seating. I move all the tables, all the um, desks like in the back, and, like towards the, like that back wall of my classroom. And there are just like seats lined up like a stadium. There's a middle aisle way so people can get through and come to the front. And so they have to like, they have to present. They use our wonderful, <laughs> huge, big screen TV smart board. So they're going through their PowerPoint uh, or they're showing their posters. Sometimes I do posters. Um, but depending on when someone comes into my classroom, it can look totally different. Could be people in pairs, could be people in in groups, but the expectation for the kids when they walk in, um, they should know exactly what to do because of that consistency, like you said. Uh, so for me, uh, what does your board look like? I know that's part of yes. consistency. Do you so, have a board okay, up? but also when you're talking about the seating, you know that I use tables. I got rid of the desks. I like the kids to be interactive with each other. So like we said, I was like those teachers who want all mm -hmm. the desks facing forward. That that doesn't work for me. Like, I mean, I teach history. Okay. No. So I feel like history is an active thing and it's something that can be discussed and needs to be discussed. And if we're all sitting forward, staring at the teacher, it doesn't get to happen. But so for me, my, the main part of my board is, has the week, like I call it week at a glance. So it has every day of the week listed for the two different mm -hmm. classes that I teach and tells them exactly what we're doing that week, if anything is due, what's due that week, what day it's due on. So it's split up, obviously, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they can see everything. So when they come in on Friday, they can never be like, what? We didn't know that this was happening on Friday. You you knew last week, but also it was mm, on the board all week. Lies. <laughs> you saw Friday was right there. And I told them that the first day of school, your entire week will be right here. You will always be able to see what you're doing all week. So when you say, what are we doing tomorrow? Guess what? You could see that. Like, And that works for me. Mm. I have had mentor teachers in the past who did like a month that said, 
I have my month planned out. Here's what the month is going to look like. I don't like doing that because I like to wow. kind of feel it out because you might get behind on a Friday and then I don't want to have to change my mm-hmm. entire calendar because I got behind on a Friday. Um, so I feel like weeks a good amount right. of time for me. My problem though with classroom management is that is when people come in and expect something to work in your class that worked in theirs. Or when they're like, oh, this teacher needs help with classroom management. You should go tell them how you do that. Well, that's fake. Like, I can't go over to a teacher in my hall and be like, let me show you what I do and you should be able to implement. Who does that? Like, I can't go and be like, this is how I parent and you should parent that way too. It doesn't work. You're going to parent however you're going to parent. I'm going to do it how I'm going to do it. Same with teaching and how you control your classroom. That is my space, right? And I'm going to dictate how my space runs. Everybody has to find their own way. So we can give a teacher hints. We can say, hey, this does work for me. You could try and modify that. But I can never go to another teacher and say, this is what you should do. This is how to manage your classroom. Like... Your classroom, the changing scene works. It wouldn't yeah. work for mine, but because that's not that's not me. But it works for you. So I just don't think it's right. fair sometimes when we kind of put this on these new teachers. Like here's something that worked for us, so you should have to do it too. I think the mandate is like where we go wrong. I think uh, is it is important for us yeah. to to share. Because, like, obviously, if somebody's having issues and their classes are just totally unruly and there's chaos happening all the time, then clearly they need some help into, like, figuring out how to, like, keep things in order. So I think definitely, like, we should share and say what we do. But like you said, when the mandate comes, like, this is how you have to do it. Then I think that's when teachers start to feel like they're being pushed in a way that's that's not helpful. But I, you know, it is important for us to kind of yeah, sharing is great. And what doesn't work. Like I've gotten a couple of um, tools from that, but I've had to try it out myself and be like, will this work in my environment? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that there's teachers in that school who cannot control their classrooms and. It's becomes right. a stress on yeah. everybody, and it's like there's so many different things that we try to do, and like observe other classrooms, look at how other people do this, and the, whatever. But if you can't implement any of that, and it doesn't work for your classroom, and at this point, I'm sorry, it's at the time of this recording, right? We're in November. It's hard to start all over. And be like, these are the rules of this classroom. If you didn't get it, if you didn't start it off that way in August, it's really hard to make a transition. Like, we're talking about maybe January is the best time to try and put in new procedures and protocols. So you're starting all kind of fresh, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, here's where we start. Right. Because trying to start things in December 1st, those kids are, they're like, we're three months in. <laughs> so, but like, if things aren't working well, shouldn't you do something to change it? Even though it's not like the ideal time, 
if you come to Thanksgiving break and you're like, okay, I'm reflecting on my classroom and you're like, oh, this, this isn't really going that well. And then you kind of just want to change some things. Like I would say there's never a, a wrong time to do, I wouldn't say the right thing. Uh, yeah, but to no, do I think that you best. should start changing it, but we were talking about with like, so you should make manageable changes. Right, but we were talking about like an overhaul of an entire classroom needs to wait until January. Yeah, like manageable changes. What are things that we know right now can be fixed? Let's, okay, let's stop throwing kids out mm. in the hallway. <laughs> like, <laughs> children need to know that there's consequences. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And I say this over and over again. To everybody, to my athletes, my children, whatever, kids need to get consequences now from people who care about them before they're out in the real world and they're getting consequences from people who mm. don't because those are a different type of consequences. So, yeah. like, they have to get consequences. And if you're not yeah. divvying up any consequences to them and they know that, yeah, like, why would I do whatever they want? Right? So part of classroom management is the kinds of lessons that you give. And so that's going to push us into the second thing that was a part of the story, which is lesson planning. So uh, I know for me, like creating those engaging lessons is something that, that takes time, but it is helpful to piggyback. And on the last thing we talked about, it is helpful for classroom management when you have lessons that kids will buy into. Now, the thing that I hear all the time that gets on my nerves is, oh, like, why aren't we learning things that we can use in a real world? And that kind of thing. I go, guys, you know what? Paying bills sucks and it's boring. <laughs> Trust me. Like, I can teach you how to pay bills in one day. It is very easy. You log in, you pay the bill. That is it. You know, why don't people tell us how to do our taxes? Like, okay. I, I guarantee you, 80% of the they people here don't know how to do that. <laughs> we use a website called TurboTax <laughs> or something like it. Okay? No idea. We don't know how to do taxes. The stuff that y'all want to know, like the stuff that I feel like that's the kind of stuff that you should be learning at home from your parents if, if they know how to do them. Because we're both parents. We use TurboTax. We don't do our own taxes. Okay. So- there's always like this balance of trying to create these engaging lessons and real world stuff. And then just kind of telling kids like, okay, there's real world stuff that y'all want to know about. It sucks too. I'm, you no, wouldn't want to learn it. I don't want to so, learn it. <laughs> exactly. Talk about buying a house. Like it's awful. There's like a thousand pages of paperwork, stuff that it's, you don't even understand. Your paper like, you sign some stuff, you give over the money. Like, that is do y'all want to know how when your bank, uh, when your paycheck hits the bank, you just start seeing it like dwindle down because bill after bill that you have auto-drafted comes out and then you're really sad looking at your bank account. Like, I'll tell you all about how it goes. Right. That, <laughs> yeah, it stinks. Trust me. <laughs> so engage in lessons. How do um, you figure it out? So I've told you this before, but you know, I went to school to be a teacher and we were taught like, writing lesson plans and we were made to write a 30 page lesson plan. And they were like, this is one day. 
This is what you're going to be doing every day. You're going to have to have lesson plans for like this for every day. That's not lesson planning. And even if I wrote a 30-page lesson plan, I could walk in the class and it could change. The thing that I find too that's like frustrating about lesson plans is that I might write a lesson plan that I think is like amazing and it does not hit first period. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to change this because the kids mm-hmm. were bored out of their mind. I mean, because I teach history. like, And so something that I think is really exciting and I'm like, oh, they're going to love this. We're going to really delve in. They're like, seriously, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. And so then I have to decide between first and second period. Do <laughs> I want to stick to what I decided was going to be the most amazing lesson of my life and maybe second mm-hmm. period will like it? Or can I kind of hit a change with it and try and find something that's going to engage second Mm -hmm. because I don't know how many times I can fail in the day and still feel good about myself. (laughs) One that just kind of stuck out to me and this was so random was um, I always do my 9-11 lesson on 9-11 and I tell the kids about my story Mm -hmm. and how I knew where I was and you know, all of this stuff. And then we, watched uh we watch a documentary with me like stopping it because it's basically like the news stories that we were watching back in our day right because I was in the eighth grade and I saw Mm -hmm. it and I talked about that talked about it with them and I was like this is what I'm watching as a 14 year old kid and this is happening live and we were going through it and I was like I remember that day you know and we had this whole conversation and um miss came up to me and she was like thank you so much for showing my child that documentary that you did and for talking about it she came home and she asked me my story and she asked if I knew more and I wanted to you know she wanted to talk to me about it and she said she didn't ever realize how like much it affected people because to them that seems so long ago Mm -hmm. but it was you know history and like her mom saying that to me I was like oh my god like you, when you reach a kid, even like obviously you want to reach all the kids, but enough for a mother to say like this made a huge difference. That to me, I was like, oh my god! Like, and she was like, she mm-hmm. said you made it personal, and I was like, okay, like they understand, you know, like human emotion. So I kind of try and play on that when we're talking about historical events. Like, let's not focus on the entire event. Let's focus on a person who was experiencing the event. And how they saw it and what their feelings were, because that is more real to them than the mm. whole nation is going through a depression. Okay, let's talk about one person in the depression. That could be your mother. Right. That could be, you know, and how does that look? And so then, like, playing it out like that, I feel like that has made a difference in them understanding, like, major events. That's great when you get that feedback from a parent that goes, oh, man, this was good. My kid came home talking about this. You know, whatever it is, (laughs) finally, I'm appreciating, at least for a day. Uh, So creating that bridge from where we are now to what has happened before, uh, I think is like one of those key things that you could do in history. Um, And I think history is one of those subjects that is maybe easier to do that. With uh, a lot of kids, they're like, oh, history, like that stuff is (laughs) old, like nobody cares. It's like, no, like you have to know this stuff so that we don't make the same mistakes that the people 
did before. Because if we don't know, then we're going to do the same exact things. And sometimes we still do the same stuff anyway. So, like, I think history is probably a hard subject to teach because of that reasoning for kids. This whole, like, I don't need to know that thing. It just it gets on my nerves. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't even know what you need to know yet. You're freaking a teenager. Like, yeah. shut it. They, Stop it. They don't know what they <laughs> so, need to know. I didn't necessarily know I was going to be a high school teacher, but you know, here I am, and now I'm drawing all of these different drawing, drawing on all these different experiences that I've had over the years, and they're really helpful for me making lesson plans. Uh, lesson plans. For me, creating lessons that are engaging, interviews, uh, looking for a job, you know, being able to create a resume, speaking in front of people, communication skills, all of that stuff is part of my teaks and what I have to teach. So for me, it's like super easy to take what I've done in my life and then tell them how like these skills that I had to learn or the skills that I'm trying to teach them, how they apply directly. Um, you also talked about, it feels good when, you know, parents, they tell you that these kids, that their child specifically, personally enjoyed what you, what you taught them and how you taught it. And so that emotional side is another thing that, that Tegan had to deal with in the story. Have you ever had a time where you were like crying at the Um, end of the day? Yeah, I think I'm going to be completely honest. I feel like if any teacher in their teaching time has said, I have never once gotten overly emotional or frustrated or whatever, they're either lying Mm, or they're not invested in the profession. (laughs) Because when you get invested in these kids, things get very Mm -hmm. emotional. It is it is hard. There's a bunch of different reasons for it. And, you know, different stories of mine or, you know, like there's so many things. And it's mm-hmm. like what I say all the time is like at this job, you have to be on all day. You don't have a moment to all like the people time. who work office jobs. I'm not talking about people who work office jobs. You might be able to close your door and be alone. When you're a teacher, you don't get that. You have to be on. Your emotions are like out and your personality is on and you are constantly putting on a show for everybody. You don't have, if you have an off day, everybody lets you know like, oh, didn't get sleep last night? You like, look a little going tired. On with you today? Oh, like, Ooh. yeah, like something happened. And so like. You're using so much energy, and when you're putting all that energy out, and then something comes and hurts you, or comes for you, or things that we've talked about where you might get quote unquote in trouble for something that you didn't even do that has to do with a student or a parent called because they're upset about something, mm-hmm. it weighs on you, and <laughs> you're you're so tired because yeah. you're like I have been putting. 110% all day, every day. And then something comes and it throws, you know, you have this huge backpack of weight on that you're carrying around of all the responsibilities you have to do. And it throws like 10 more bricks on it and you break down. Like there's no better way to say it than you break down. Yeah. You're like, what am I doing? Like 
you doubt yourself. So what's one thing that makes you break down? Like where you, where you, it gets under your skin. Um, For me, I mean, you know that I am also a cheerleading coach. So for me, a lot of the things have to do with the cheerleaders. And I've had parents come for me when it comes to cheerleading stuff. And that's understandable because cheerleading is one of those sports, right? And a lot of that I can deal with. But what I can't is when one of my cheerleaders is emotionally like hurting or going through something because they go through a lot. They're normal kids. All of these kids are going through something. And this is like a whole other one that it's just Mm -hmm. an easy one for me to vote on because there's a couple of things that makes me break down. But when I see them hurting, I'm like, oh my God, it hurts me. And then that's really hard. So that's one that I always Mm -hmm. will break down about because I care about them so much. And I think that people don't get that, that like the amount of care that teachers or coaches actually have for their students or athletes. They're like, you don't even care because you Mm -hmm. didn't put a grade in on time. Like maybe I didn't put a grade on on time because I have been focusing so much on the students themselves that the grades were kind of a back burner. And we're teachers. I get it. It shouldn't be a back burner, but sometimes it is. It's a lot. And we deal with 120, 180 of them. So it only makes sense that you're so exhausted. (laughs) So when you have like these emotional times, what do you do? Like, how do you get some support or Um, feedback? Usually I lock (laughs) myself in my closed classroom where it's dark (laughs) and take a breather. Right. Because I need that moment to myself to have that breather. And then lucky for me, I have good friends (laughs) at my school who are in the profession who I can go vent to. And sometimes I'll be like, I know that this rant Mm -hmm. might not make sense right now, but just let me get it out. (laughs) Like sometimes you just have to get it out, the emotion. And then there's been multiple times where a day later I will go back and be like, I realized I was overly emotional yesterday, but it had just weighed on me so much. And lucky for me, my friends, yourself included, have said like, oh, I wasn't judging you on that. It's fine. Cause you know that it just, I just have to get it out. And sometimes you have to, cause mm-hmm. if you hold it in, you're going to start building on this like anger deep in your soul. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yes. For That's where it feels like it's coming it from. It feels like it is burrowing <laughs> in you. So like you have to, you have to get it out. You have to say what you need to say. Like, and you have to have a a base, a support group of people. And like, honestly, this whole mm-hmm. thing we're going on about, which we're going to keep going into, is about new teachers, right? And I think that the most important thing that they can do is find that base, find your people. Like, there's people who can support you. And if you right. don't find those people you're doing yourself a disservice. There's so many great people in our building that are more than willing to just listen and talk. This one guy upstairs, smaller uh, white guy, new guy, without saying names, you know who I'm talking about. 
he's super friendly and like he was one of those people he was a new teacher but at the same time he was somebody that i can go and talk to and just kind of bat stuff around with and like you don't have to be this 30 years of experience person to have something to offer and to be a shoulder to lean on for for other adults and for kids and to be that emotional support it's just about being a person you know so I'm always one of those people that's seeking out the new teachers in our school just because I remember when I was a new teacher and I just, I didn't have anybody to help me. How do you get when it's, when it's your kids? Like, so what I'm thinking of is when I'm in class and they're just making me upset or they're doing something that's great. Uh, It could kind of go either way. Usually we give most of the attention to when we get angry. Um, but like, do you vent to your classes? Like if it's them. So I'll give like a, like an example here, backdrop. I have one class period <laughs> and I know who they are. And I'll just go, you know what? You guys are my worst class period. I'll just tell them. And I go, it's not because it's not individually. It's not you individually. Individually, y'all are great people. I like you. But when you get together with your buddies and y'all all all come to this class, I don't know what happens to y'all. And so they've been carrying it all school year. But at the same time, when they're doing something great or or they don't suck that day, I'll go, man, you know what? Today, y'all are not my least favorite class. Y'all was good today. I just want to give y'all the props. So like having that balance and when they get on my nerves, I'll stop a whole lesson. I'm like, Did I miss something? Was there a memo? Was there a message sent out that I did not get? Like, let's go through this step by step. Do y'all get this? Yes. Do y'all get this? Yes. Do y'all get this? Yes. So what the heck is going on here? Like, do you have those moments in your class where you have to talk to me like that? Um, I tell my classes all the time. I'm like, y'all are specifically, again, because I teach dual credit too. I'm like, y'all are taking a college course. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm always going to be 100% honest with you. So when something goes wild, I'm like, oh, so this is what we're doing today. Oh, okay. It's it's adorable that y'all want to do, you know, whatever. And so specifically, like, I had an issue. Um, they had a paper due. And I had already talked to them about play- – this was one specific class. I had already talked to them about plagiarism. And they had a handwritten paper due. Well, they, I think they thought because and they had mm. to do it in class. I think they thought because it was handwritten that I wouldn't realize if two papers looked identical, right? And w- the way that I read, when something kind of sticks out to me, like I'm just like, wait, these sounded exactly like. So I took, they were like 10 papers apart. They had turned them in, you know, separately. And I went and I looked at them. And I was like, oh, so I was like, okay, guys, we're just a little bit of housekeeping, just as a reminder. And then I went back over the plagiarism and I was like, so you will get a zero. If this happens again, let me remind you, I have no problem kicking you out of this class. And what does that look like? It looks like you taking this entire semester over again. It looks like you having a zero and you being the weird kid your senior year who had to go back to U.S. history. It looks like 
you having on your permanent documentation when you go to college that you were kicked out of a class for academic dishonesty. So all those little fancy colleges y'all are applying to aren't even going to look at you. But if that's what you want, you know what? Go ahead and make this stupid mistake again. Would you like me to say names? And everybody just like, like bright eyed. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just saying, right? If this is what we're doing. If y'all think I'm stupid. Right. There's always like that line that you have to tell, like, okay, when am I calling out the whole class? And then when am I, you know, maybe pulling people aside? Like there's always, ah, there's always like these different things that you have to like, like snap, and we make these decisions like quickly in our decisions. heads, like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. I think that's the difference between a new teacher and an experienced teacher. Like they haven't had the experience to know what and how to make those quick judgments and then do it, you know, the you know, the best way, because, you know, the only time, the only way you, you learn is having to do it and then sometimes failing. Um, thankfully, I've never gotten into like trouble or I had to get like a write up or anything like that. But, you know, sometimes you handle a situation wrong. And um, I know one time there was a kid that had to get put at ISS because the, the kid was definitely wrong. But I overreacted to the to what happened. As the adults, like we are supposed to be the responsible ones. If they overreact and get over emotional, they are the children. They should be, we should be able to handle it more than they can. You know, we have to be the de escalators. We just have to be as hard as it is sometimes where you just want to go there with a kid. Like, oh, okay, we, okay, we're going <laughs> to do this. Okay, let's go. Let's the, do it. De escalators, <laughs> because I've seen plenty can. of teachers escalate situations where I'm like, if you would have just. Mm. We brought it down. We could all like be moving on, (laughs) but now there's a scene and kids are like, no, yes, we're the adult in the situation. Like, I'm not going to fight with a child. I don't fight with my own children. I'm not going to fight with a child. Like, I always just am like, okay, let's bring this down (laughs) because this is what we're not going to do. Exactly. And uh, so I actually went to the kid. They got put in ISS because the kid was wrong. But I went to the kid the next day and I was just, I apologized to the kid because I felt like the way that I handled the situation was wrong. You know, so I think sometimes that's that's important because that then bridges the gap. It builds a bridge, you know, with a yeah. kid that probably doesn't listen to many people. And being able to admit that you made a mistake because I've had kids that are like, teachers never say that they're wrong. And I'm like, but sometimes we're wrong. Like (laughs) we're human and to expect us to be perfect. Like, and I think that some teachers carry themselves that way as if like they could never make a mistake. And then the kids are like, it, it, it creates that wall. Like you're saying, okay, this bridge is a gap. It, It really does when they're like, Oh, you're being honest. Like you, made you're saying you made a mistake like if it's something crazy it's like yeah i made a mistake like yeah yep guys that one's on me i bet (laughs) i have to say that multiple times i'm like oh my goodness this one was me this one was definitely me okay last thing to help new teachers last thing on our list is time management is that even almost like is that even real we're just trying to figure out what's What's the most important thing that I have to do? Let me do it and then just keep going down the list. There's There's always always stuff stuff to do do. as a teacher. I think that the most important thing about time management is like 
okay, let's be honest, you're not going to be managing any time during the day. <laughs> you're just doing everything. If To me, when we talk about time management, I'm thinking about like grading and doing all of that stuff. And like, especially mm. new teachers or even teachers who have families and stuff, like you just have to set boundaries and limits. And so like, like when I was a new teacher, I was like, okay, I'm going to stay 45 minutes after the bell. So, you know, we stayed contract time and then I was like, I'll stay like 45 minutes. I was like, I'm going to get, I'm not going to do anything right. else, but get as much grading done in that time as I can. So that way I can go home, but I don't want to take <laughs> stuff home. But the rest of it, there's no way to be able to schedule all of the things that we're expected to do in one day. <laughs> That's always one of those things. I don't even really worry about it because I don't have a off period until seven. So as soon as that bell starts, first period, yeah, you're you going know, it's boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, once lunchtime comes, like you can forget the emails once lunchtime comes. I'm taking my thirty, my sorry little That's twenty five minutes, basically. And uh, yeah, I'm not checking emails during my lunchtime, so I'll, I'll try to get to them when I can. And you no gotta be in the hallway in the period. That we are required to have by law <laughs> that if you don't respond to something, they're like, you had lunch. It's like, nope, don't come at me about that. That's a no for me. I think that's good. Setting boundaries, prioritization, time management, just. Whatever's most important, just do that and then do the next Literally, like, <laughs> make yourself a list. I make myself to-do lists, and if I'm like, if I don't get to the bottom five, it is what it is because I got to the top five. Like, <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed that conversation between me and Just Dom. It's always a pleasure having her on as we provide the keys to unlocking the teacher life you desire. Before we get out of here, remember... Being a new teacher can be challenging and overwhelming, but you're not alone. Foster the relationships that will help you through the difficult times. Also, take time to reflect on the impact you're having on the people around you. It'll help during the tough times as well. As always, thank you for listening. Keep teaching, keep learning, and I will see you all on the next journey.